We need to pray, um, especially um, in the section that I'm in this morning, because I'm going to be in the 15th chapter of Mark uh, as we get closer and closer. Easter season, I just felt to start here, and we'll see where it goes in the next few weeks for all of us, because it's uh, obviously a special time of the year. Um, resurrection of Christ because he lived, we live. So let's, let's pray for a moment, okay? Lord, our words are not adequate to express how we feel when we've got our hearts and minds focused on you. It's like everything else fades, Lord, into nothingness and you just get bigger and bigger. And you encompass all of our thoughts and all of our emotions. And Lord, we, we begin to just weep with joy over the fact that you called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And so we ask this morning, Lord, that you would touch our hearts and that you would illuminate your words so that they speak to us in a, in a strong and a powerful way. Lord, that the darkness might flee and the light might grow brighter and brighter. And we just pray this love for the real glory and in your name. Amen. Just as an aside before we get <clears throat> into the 15th chapter of Mark, <clears throat> every once in a while, in fact, more than every once in a while, you, you run across things in Scripture that cause you to stop and and look and see what other people have said. And it's especially true, I think, because there are so many words in Hebrew or Aramaic or other languages, the Greek, that we have one word and they have sometimes four or five words to really emphasize what that word means. And one of them is that I ran across and seeing what people that know Hebrew and Greek say is a word that comes from uh, also in Mark in the 14th chapter. And the example that I looked at was Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he tells the probably temple guards, uh, a lot of times it just says guards, and we think in terms of a large group of Romans. But I can't imagine that Romans would have cared anything about Jesus. So it's more the temple guards and the priests and the enemies of Jesus that are in the garden seeking to grab him and interrogating and ultimately condemn and murder him. But Jesus tells the guards, or he tells the priest rather, the one that I kiss, that's the one you want. And you've got to know that um, obviously a lot of people were standing around and taunting and mocking him. In the same chapter, in verses 29 through 32, it says, 
And those who pass by, this is why Jesus is on the cross. And those who pass by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the tribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. They were wrong, of course. He could save himself. But he could only save himself by disobeying the Father. Because he knows this is God's will. He knows this from the beginning. His silence exposes the truly wicked hearts of the priests that rail against him. Their words and actions reveal that behind all their accusations, were just hearts full of jealousy and hatred. The cross has got a remarkable way of working on the inside of us. It strips us of all pretense. It's God's great plow ripping through the hypocrisy of our lives and exposing us for all to see, even ourselves. That's what we see here. Jesus remains silent, and they are forced to expose the hatred of their own hearts against him. Not very uplifting as far as looking at ourselves. Verses 6 through 15 read, But at the feast, he used to release for them, talking to Pilate, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked, for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and asked and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was only out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is some really difficult parts of scripture. If you don't know Jesus, hopefully open your eyes so that you can begin to see who he is. And if you do know him, to see how much he suffered for us. It's at this point that Luke, in his gospel, says that Pilate 
sent Jesus to Herod. Now, Herod is the king of the upper part of Israel, Judea, of Galilee. And since Jesus is from Galilee, Pilate sends him to Herod to get Herod's thoughts and opinion and hopefully have Herod take over. Pilate is probably anxious at this point to get rid of Jesus because Jesus is a problem. He's having the crowd scream at him to let go, let Barabbas go. He knows that Jesus is innocent of the charges they're bringing against him. He can see the hatred of the priest, the crowd, and this sort of thing. And he knows it's all put up, that it's all fake. It's because of jealousy. So Jesus goes to Pilate, I mean to Herod. Herod had heard about Jesus, wanted to see him and never had. But he wants to see Jesus because he wants to see a miracle. But Jesus wouldn't even speak to him. So after mocking Jesus, jeering him, and having the whole court doing the same, Herod sends him back to Pilate. And the crowd asked Pilate to do what he usually did at that feast day during Passover, to release a prisoner. Now it says at this time, there was in prison a murderer named Barabbas. And Mark also says he was part of an insurrection against Rome. And Pilate asked the crowd, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? knowing that Jesus was innocent of the charges against him. He knew that Jesus was only there because of the envy and hatred she's preached. An interesting comment that some of the theologians make is that Barabbas was in jail for murder and for rebellion, an insurrection. But he wasn't by himself there were at least two other people that were there with him. And there's speculation that those other two were the thieves on either side of Jesus on the cross. True or not, I don't know. <clears throat> but there's some that think that's the case. All the Gospels tell us of Barabbas are things that we have here, but the, detail, the details are sketchy. We know that he was part of a rebel group that wanted to free Rome, free uh, Israel of Roman rule. And we know that the group was violent. Within just a few years of Jesus' death, Judea was seething with so much discontent <clears throat> that they had frequent revolts. Now, they were quickly put down by the Roman army because they really had no great strength. But the atmosphere was one of, of turmoil. And this atmosphere at the time could have made Barabbas appealing to a lot of people of the crowd that hated Roman rule. So some of the crowds saying, give us Barabbas, could have been influenced like this. They were patriots in their own minds. They wanted to get rid of Rome. And Barabbas was a symbol of somebody that had stood against Rome. But the major reason the crowds acted that way was because of the incitement by the, by the priests, by the chief priests, 
and their followers to have Jesus crucified. There's one more interesting thing about Barabbas, especially if you don't believe in coincidences when speaking about God. And I don't know how anyone could. According to some old manuscripts, his name probably was Jesus Barabbas. Bar means son of, like when Jesus called Peter Simon Bar Jonah. It means Simon, son of Jonah, Barabbas. Abba means father. Galatians 4 6 reads, and because you are sons, God has spent the, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father. It's an endearing term for father. Father, father. In the garden, Jesus prayed, Abba, father, showing the intimate relationship that he had with God as father. And now the Spirit puts the same word on the lips of men and women who are adopted in Christ. We're to say, Abba, Father. But in great irony, Jesus Barabbas means Jesus, Son of the Father. So the great question before the huge crowd is, do you want me to release Jesus Barabbas, Jesus, Son of the Father, who was a murderer, or Jesus, the King of the Jews, whose Father is God? And the crowd says, give us Barabbas the murderer. We choose lawlessness instead of law. One of the Old Testament words for sin is anomia, which means lawlessness. The human heart has got a place in it that resorts to lawlessness. It desires to do what it likes. It wants to refuse all discipline. The mob was the example of people who chose lawlessness instead of law. And the mob also chose war instead of peace. They chose a man of blood who's a murderer, and he'll keep doing it if you let him go, because that's who he is, instead of the Prince of Peace. There have been statements that over the last three, true or not, I'm not sure, over the last 3,000 years, that there's been less than 130 years where there's not been a war going on somewhere. And I suspect it's because they just missed a few, because it's probably everywhere, every time. And the crowd shows hatred and violence instead of love. So Pilate asked, what then shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify. And Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. John, in his gospel, says Pilate was afraid of but it's, even, but it's even more obvious that he's afraid of the crowd. <clears throat> he's a man of weak character, and he's caught in a dilemma that he can't solve. Mm -hmm. 
He's a coward and he's afraid of his decision based on justice. Why did he have Jesus scourged before he was crucified? From what we can determine, the two criminals on either side of him on the cross on the crosses were not. And many times those that were crucified were not. And those that did have a scourging on them, and scourging was, you don't even want to know how terrible it was. It was whipped with bone and pieces of metal in the end of it, and it flayed your back, and sometimes it, till it, the bone was exposed, and a lot of people died from it. And this happened to Jesus before he was taken to the cross. And again, we don't think that anything, from anything we can determine, the two thieves on the cross were not scourged before they were taken to the cross. And it's easy to speculate as to the why of the scourging of Jesus, but ultimately we know that it's God's plan. Isaiah 53, 5 reads, but he was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. The chastening for our well-being, our peace, fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. And this also fulfills Jesus' own prophecy earlier in Mark 10, 34, where he tells his disciples on the way to Jerusalem, they will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. So the great question of all time for everybody is what will you do with Jesus who's called the Christ? Pray. What are we going to do with Jesus? The one who was scourged for us, who died on a cross for us, that at any time did not have to go through with it. But the great love he had for those that you would give him father propelled him to die that we might not die, to live forever that we might live forever. Lord, we bow before you in thanksgiving. And we ask you to give us a greater understanding of these things, which are easy to easy to glide over the surface, Lord, because our hearts are hard. <clears throat> Help us to ask to see you in the bright light, so that we might see your words in bright light. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior, and we bless your name forever. Amen.